Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. everyone and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. With me today is my co-host Jamal Ahmed, who's a fellow of information privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. He is a revered global privacy thought leader, world-class trainer and published author for publications such as Thomson Reuters, The Independent, Euronews, as well as numerous industry publications. Welcome Jamal. Hi Jamila. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. <laughs> and I will introduce our guest. Our guest today is Jeff Sizemore, who's the Chief Governance Officer at Ignite, and he is responsible for the strategy and execution of the Ignite Protect Content Governance Solution. Jeff has an extensive background in data protection, specifically in encryption, key management, data loss prevention, and identity and access management. He has helped define the market by contributing to several startups, including PGP, now part of Semantic, Ionic Security, and Port Authority, now Forcepoint DLP. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. No, thank you for joining us. And as always, we start off with a icebreaker question. What is your favorite holiday? Definitely Christmas. No question about it. When you have children, it's amazing to see that uh, see them under the tree that day and see what they're uh, see them excited and spend the week with them. We'll Jamila, what's your favorite holiday? I like random bank holidays that we get in like August or because when you know now you're an adult, you don't get school holidays anymore. You're not off for six weeks in the summer, so it's nice to have a little bit of a break. So I like a random bank holiday. What all about right. you, Jamal? Uh, well, first of all, welcome to adulthood. <laughs> I think I like it when we get one of those random bank holidays because we're celebrating some milestone that the Queen has achieved, like she's a thousand years old today or she's two thousand years old today. Like those ones where we're celebrating, like, is it the Jubilee? The golden jubilee. Yeah, because everyone gets really excited and um, you can see it feels like there's a really good spirit around. Yeah. Um, so I really like those ones. Right. Let's get into the questions. Jeff, could you tell us a little bit more about Ignite, what the company does? Yeah, absolutely. So Ignite uh, really does two things. It's known traditionally as a, a cloud-based file server. It's one of the first ones in the market. So it's been doing that for some time. Uh, about four years ago, uh, some folks came to me and said, hey, uh, we really want to take you know security seriously. We want to move forward. We're getting a lot of questions about this. Let's evolve. So about four years ago, I uh, came over here to help build out the governance practice and what we do. So we built that out. And, and now if you look at the business, we're actually more governance heavy than we are file server four years later from, from the business and doing quite well and scheduled IPO next year. So uh, doing, you know, the business is great. Uh, and it's just been Honestly, it's been a great ride. When you look at 
file server and they did such a great job. I think that was great. But what I really loved about the opportunity in our world in security and governance, often we have to try to find our way to fix a problem and reverse engineer something. But when you can own the file server and own the capabilities, mm-hmm. you can build and embed privacy in there. You can embed, you know, zero trust models into the way that we work uh, and not try to reverse engineer those. So it's, it's just been really great to have and, and be able to provide a solution for those means, for those large organizations to embed this the way that it should be instead of saying, hey, let me sell something and go buy something from somebody else, right? Let's bring this together and make this so people can solve these problems. And I think the more achievable people, right? I, I want I don't want just the city banks to solve this problem. I want my lawyers to solve this problem. I want my accountants to solve this problem. We want everyone to. And, and to do that, you got to get to a more repeatable motion. You got to try to drive new solutions, new strategies to help these folks come along. So it's really great opportunity. And it's really been fun. And just great to see so many people started to really come forward uh, and really trying to do the right thing. So it's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. I really love that and I resonate with that. And one of the reasons why I started the consultancy, the KZM Privacy Experts, was because we saw that uh, small and medium-sized businesses, those that are not large enterprises, didn't have access to that same quality of service and that same quality of solutions. And to hear you saying uh, Ignite is all about bringing in security and making it accessible for all businesses, that really resonates with me. And I'm so happy and excited to hear that. The other thing I'm really uh, keen to understand is, so you said you're looking to IPO next year. That must be such an exciting time in the business. Tell me, what's it actually like being part of a business that's about to IPO? Yeah, it's funny. I've done a couple of them uh, now. And, you know, I did Anderson Consulting. That was a huge organization. I was a huge adventure. Uh, that one was really quite big. But this one is, uh, it's just interesting to see how this works and, and the requirements and the, the things you have to start building for early, right? The way that you have to project to your number, the way that you have to build your back office and make those investments and things that you need to get there. It is, uh, make no mistake, it is a huge back office push that you've got to do to drive this automation to scale and to measure the right margins, the right services. You know, everybody's looking at every dot and making sure that you're getting exactly what you need to do. So it's not necessarily a restructure, but you are definitely trying to scale as fast as you humanly can and scale in a, in a repeatable method methodology that you can continue to run because once you hit that IPO, there's no going back. You can't go and restructure. You can't do those things, right? You got a number to hit. You got to run your business every quarter. So you got to really pump through this at the beginning and get get through this kind of uh, opportunity to optimize because you really, it's hard to have those opportunities again once you're publicly traded. Yeah. It sounds like an amazing environment to be working in right now. It's, it's a lot of fun and it's, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun helping these, uh, the customers uh, start to think about these things. And it's, it's been great. I mean, over the last couple of years, you know, just seeing CMMC and all these rules coming into play, all these new regulations, privacy coming in, it's just such a forefront thing now that it should have been forever. And it's just so great to see so many people actually thinking about this now on the board level and, and working with it. So it's, you know, five, 10 years ago, you know, we're talking about privacy or even 20 years ago when I was at PGP, you were like the, the you know smart guy in the corner that nobody would have talked to. Nowadays, when you talk about it, you know, it's just, a, it's a prime topic for everybody. It's on everyone's mind and everybody's moving forward and it's getting the uh, the attention that it should. I'm not sure it's getting the full budget it should just yet, but it's definitely getting the attention, which is a start. All right. So you mentioned a lot about night and security. The question we have for you is why is privacy so important to you? Well, privacy for me is where it all started and really my whole goal. And when I look at, when I think about security, I think about enterprise privacy. And then I think about consumer privacy. And I think about crypto. I think about making sure the data is owned by the enterprise and they can take even manage that. When I think about the consumer, it's a right. We, you know, we this is information. It's data about us. It's when we're coming and going, the only thing that we've left in these organizations is the data. And that data should be protected as an asset. And it should also be, you know, minimized as a liability. And we have to do a much better job as we become data-driven businesses. And we can't build these businesses on the back of our consumer's data. 
It's wrong. It's just not the right thing to do from a trust perspective. It's just the people aren't the products here, right? Uh, that they, they shouldn't be. And it's just the things that are happening right now and the things that have been happening over the years, just absurd, you know, with what mm. ha- with what people are doing. And it's just, it's a passion. It always has been. It probably always will be. It's just, it's got to continue to get fixed. It's a human right, right? And it's your right to, with, if y'all want to sell you my data, that's my choice. You don't have a right to take my data. That's super interesting. And hear, hearing that from somebody that's not based in Europe to see and recognize it as a private, right? is also uh, super fascinating. How do you feel about the lack of progress we see in the States when it comes to a federal privacy law? It's so challenging here because of the confusion. I think it's the, the bigger part of this is, you know, you're getting into politics between red states and blue states and what they think of and how they look at it. It's just unfortunate that we're not doing this as a federal right. I mean, you, you know, we have these laws that should be across every border because the data is crossing every border, right? It's not like I can say, keep the data in Illinois. It's not going to happen. I can't say keep it in California. It's not going to happen. It's a federal issue and it's confusing for people, right? I mean, when you go there and you say, solve this privacy problem, but here's what Nevada looks like compared to Colorado's, Colorado's okay. to California. I mean, I, it, it's just, it's like a spaghetti of laws, right? You're just trying to p- put this thing together and do the best that you can do and trying, you know, to really meet these requirements, but it's, it's really hard and it's hard to understand what's in scope, what's out of scope. And, and I think the bigger part of it is most of them don't have teeth. Right. There's California is really coming now with CPRA. So they're getting this, this thing happening. So they're going to have an oversight group. But a lot of it you see, um, you know, we're still not seeing the teeth that you guys are starting to see with GDPR and, and over there. Thank you. And Jeff, so a lot of our audience is listening and they're really interested in a career in data privacy and really taking their careers to the next level. And security is something that they might not be not so versed in compared to the privacy knowledge. So can you just help us break down some of these uh, security concepts? So, for example, when we're talking about key management, what is that specifically? Yeah, when you think about key management, it becomes really interesting because of how you you build keys and how you structure. I think you encrypt something with a unique key, then you can control that piece of data 100%, whether that data is on or off through that key. But the way you do key management, is it a single key per file? That's unique. That means that I, I now have revocation of one file, particularly I can control it, but I have all this granular management uh, rotation of it. But, but ultimately, the key kind of you know defines the policies, right? Hey, and, and the hardest part about encryption, to be quite frank, is you know the keys are the keys. And you got to be able to rotate them. You got to be able to stream them, make sure that the keys are the customer's keys. It's your keys. It's not my keys. I can use them. You can shut my service off the way you want with your keys. It maintains control. And anyone using any cloud product, in my opinion, should really be doing it with their own key management system, right? There's no question. They should have the right, if they don't trust that cloud vendor, to turn it on and off again. And I think some people are doing that, and then they're starting to work through there. But you know, when you, when you look at encryption, I think some of the hardest problems that we were dealing with are when to encrypt and how to decrypt under what context. And because encryption really does follow standards, right? You're going to go FIPS 140-2, you're going to follow the standards. But if you encrypt too early, you break things. And you break, you think about like consumer privacy. If I mm-hmm. encrypt information, I store it on the server, you no longer are going to scan that server. You're not going to scan that file. I can't maintain that consumer privacy. So if I were to encrypt it, say, on the way out of the environment, and I were to encrypt it there, and it's in clear, it's in my environment the way that it normally would, I can scan it, do the things I do and find that privacy, you're in a good place. So one of the biggest challenges you have with encryption is how do you actually do this without breaking things like consumer privacy or consumer compliance, right? And mm. being able to go and find this data. So you have to encrypt 
on the way out. And then when you go to decrypt, you have to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Like, hey, you know what? You're not in the UK, so you can't open this file. We're not going to open it, right? We're not going to give you the key, but there's other things that we think about how we do it. But there's an amazing opportunity now of what we're seeing with key management and, you know, home more concepts happening now where, hey, you're going to be able to encrypt and still read files while it's encrypted. These things are starting to happen. So when we get a little further, this is going to be pretty amazing to see all the data encrypted all the time. But we're not really there yet. But I definitely think key management is a big issue for us because of the, the way you think about key rotation. You start to think about quantum computing coming in. How do you replace these keys? And you got to think about key performance, right? If it's every file in the company is getting a unique key, how do you manage that? Where does that sit? Where does it live? And how fast is that key management system to, to create those 100,000 keys you know, a minute, whatever that might be? All right. Thank you. Thank you for uh, explaining that and breaking it down a little bit more. And the way I like to think about encryption key management, and this is the way I kind of explain it to the guys at the Privacy Pros Academy, is I say, imagine you've got a big, massive uh, house, and within each house, you have a room. And to get into the house, first of all, uh, you need a key. And you might have one key to get into the house, and everybody might have a copy of that key. So you can all get into the house. But to get into specific rooms, you will all be assigned a key based on the information or the valuables in that room and whether you need to have access to it or not. And sometimes some of these rooms might have information that is super valuable. So instead of just having one key to get in, we might need two keys to get in and you will have one key and someone else will have another key. And then the challenge really becomes, as you said, in making sure that the management of that is actually efficient and effective. And we are not having too many keys and we're not encrypting them just for the sake of it, but encrypting it on the way out or making sure that it's done appropriately, trying to protect both the security and the privacy. What are some of the mistakes you see privacy professionals making when it comes to security and privacy? Well, I think one of them, and the biggest one I see from security folks and privacy folks when we work with them is perfect is kind of the enemy of good enough here. And I think sometimes when you look at this data, such large data sets, you're trying to make you know, small moves on huge data sets in the environment that we're trying to understand. And often I think when people look at these solutions, they want to look at every bell and whistle. They want to look at every little thing and, and they want to look at the perfect thing. But ultimately, it's not about perfection at some point. Initially, it's as simple as do I know what I have in my environment? Can I see it? Can I touch it? Right. It's the basics of this, these problems. And so I think we look for the perfect solution and we create the, the perfect program but we can never execute it or we start to execute it and we end up with one policy or one capability and 3000 exceptions of the capability because we can't get it through due to accuracy, due to visibility that we see. And, and fundamentally, w without working with the business to define these programs, these policies so that they're part of this program. I mean, that's one of the biggest things we see is, you know, people trying to solve these problems, you know, in a corner and it doesn't work, right? This is a, this data is a corporate responsibility. Legal needs to be involved. Business needs to be involved. They need to be part of the solution. And, you know, those are a couple of things I see, but one of the biggest ones is, is just making sure you have that executive alignment and, and everyone working together for this common goal and you're not in the corner trying to solve this as a, a really freaked out security person trying to, to solve world hunger over here by yourself. Yeah, that's super useful insights. Uh, thank you so very much for sharing those valuable insights. Yeah, of course. It's the first part of these programs is just, you know, people got to see the data and know that they're, they need to be part of the solution. Uh, and they've got to start becoming more aware that this isn't some, you know, you pick up some rug and hey, here's some magical data on here. It doesn't work that way. You know, you got to, you got to protect, you got to know what's going on. Just a quick question, going back to the key management and the analogy that Jamal referred to, when we're encrypting data, are we encrypting the key or are we encrypting what is, for example, in the room of the house? In some cases, both, depending on how you're going to transmit the key, right? So if you're 
if you have a piece of information, you're going to have a key associated to that. But to get yeah. that, when somebody's going to go request that key, you're probably, you, you know, you're maybe sending that key in an encrypted packet itself and then decrypting so the key is available so that if it's not intercepted in something like an SSL or, you know, using something of that nature. So ultimately, in transit, that key should be encrypted. And then when it's delivered, it's used to decrypt the content. It's destroyed in memory. And, you know, when next time you save the file, you get a new key. But that key should be encrypted in transit unless you, you know, I mean, you don't have to, if you, if you trust SSL, they Great. I guess you don't, but generally speaking, you should. Interesting. All right. Can you tell us a little bit more about where you think the encryption sector is right now and where you think it's heading? Yeah. I, well, it's. I mean, we hear everything with zero trust right now, right? I mean, that's that's everywhere, and everything we're doing is is making these decisions. But I think the a lot of information obviously is encrypted everywhere in the, these environments now, which is which is wonderful. But there are a lot of opportunities as we start to, you know, continue to evolve and make encryption a better part of our life. And and I think we're going to start seeing all sensitive data, you know, being encrypted to the organization, you know, very shortly. Uh, so on the desktop, it's going to be there with that additional uh, that recovery mechanism they might have. So we're just, you know, in the future, we're going to start seeing all of the sensitive data, this PII, this high value data being encrypted to a key living within the infrastructures that it would be. And that, that key in theory, should be marked as it's there because that file has PII. So you think about a file being encrypted and metadata saying this had PII and this is why it's encrypted. That is the world we're moving to. Where as soon as we get better context of the data, better understanding, you'll see you'll continue to see this, and then we'll start making better decisions based on things like third-party suppliers. How much do we trust this third-party supplier? Can they decrypt these files if they have access to them? No. They're a high-risk supplier. They've had a breach. No, you don't get the decryption key. So it's definitely going to be the enforcement of the high-value data and how we share this moving forward. It's it's just this evolution of how we you know continue to operationalize it in the environments. Yeah, that sounds like ideal solution for where we want to get to. Sometimes I worry about if it's a little bit of overkill. Just because the metadata said the file has PII, do we really need to encrypt all that data? And it's going to be really interesting when we have to create policies for businesses to understand at what level and which kind of PII they're actually going to start encrypting to that level and which ones uh, they won't be. So I can see lots of interesting challenges uh, privacy professionals and security professionals are going to have to overcome moving forward. On that note, what do you look for when you're hiring someone in the data privacy field? Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, you know, we're always looking for, you know, making sure these folks are are certified. They have their, um, they went through this before they've done work in things like e-discovery and, you know, data privacy fields is is somewhat new, right? We're, we're starting to see these DPOs come in. Some of them are more, I, I see more in the legal side of the house. Uh, we mm-hmm. see them there, but I try to find folks that really understand um, that have been in the audit positions that have understood this and understand the controls because, Often, if you don't understand the technologies, then you may commit to something that's not achievable, you know, from an audit perspective or compliance. When you, you commit and say, you know, we will do this, the, we will protect all of this information this way. And then you start to work with your engineers and like, yeah, that's not really possible. We can't really do that. So often I see kind of a, I prefer more of, uh, you know, engineers that have went through the audit phase that have went up there and, and now they're really working that DPO phase. Because they tend to, for, for me anyway, especially being a product company, to make sure of how do we implement this effectively in the organization. The policies, the procedures that are there are somewhat standardized in the world. I mean, you continue to have to do this, but the techniques to actually be effective and, and to roll this stuff out is, is key. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I think this is a struggle sometimes. This is something we're trying to overcome in the academy is there are lots of certified individuals. But just because somebody has the actual theory and they've been managed to you know pass 90 questions uh, to hit an exam and show you that piece of paper, when you start talking to them, uh, when you bring them in and you make the mistake of actually hiring them, you realize that 
they don't actually understand how this applies operationally, and it can become really frustrating for businesses, for recruiters, and for hiring managers. And so one of the things that we're really keen on at the Academy is making sure, look, self-study is great. Looking at past exams is fine, but it's not really going to help you to have a thriving career in data protection or data privacy. It's not going to help you to solve the challenges that you want businesses to hire you to solve because you have to understand the practical application for that. And the best way to understand and get that practical application is to go and learn with mentors, go and learn with people who have been doing this day in, day out, who know what the challenges look like, who can share these stories so you can really build on that experience that they have and really understand how it applies and then go and get hired by companies looking for top talent and make an impactful difference and really thrive in your career. What do you have to say about that, Jeff? I think it's spot on. There's no question. I mean, you go through that life cycle of this and working through this and actually working from beginning to end, you start to understand those caveats in the organization and how it works and the things that you can and can't do. You have to prepare for with your lawyers. You know, you're you're in, you know, I don't know, um, uh, financial services, right? You're, you know, you have to retain data for financial transactions. Well, you're dealing with privacy, you're dealing with that. Well, how do you handle this, right? How do you, how do you prepare for this? How do you, you know, what data do you provide back on a consumer request? What don't you provide back? These are things that are just, once you went through this and you understand this, then you can start to think quickly on how to do this as opposed to, you know, you're learning on the fly and hoping you're doing the right thing. And there are a lot of those caveats, right? There's superseding laws that are, that are telling you to do something different. There's geolocation issues. There's these data residence issues you have to consider. There's a lot to think about from an architecture, from where physical presence is. And, you know, like you, you hear people say data localization, right? Hey, it's, you know, the data should live in, in Europe and, and people are like, well, we are going to make sure this happened. And some people will say, yep, our data center is in Europe and that's good. And that's where we're at. And our offices are in Europe. I've seen others that say, well, we want to make sure that if anybody were to leave Switzerland, the data will stay encrypted and, and it won't decrypt until you come back over a Swiss IP address. Well, that sounds really amazing, but it also is pretty overkill and it's pretty hard to manage saying our employees will never leave the country. And so, you know, that's a good view of someone and where they've said they've, they've taken such a hard angle at this. You're like, yeah, you could do it, but it, you're, it's not functional. Right. And, and I think those are the kind of things you have to look out for. And I think you have to, to your point, you have to mature over time. Right. You got to get the investment and you just got to let this thing. Hey, we're a one. We're going to get to a two. We're going to let this program build and we're going to get to where we want to go. But, you know, doing it overnight and trying to slam it in, it's going to be a rough project. Yeah. And I, I completely hear what you're saying. This is something that I find um, when I'm consulting specifically clients struggle with is in the GDPR, we have the seven different principles of the GDPR. And what, one of the things I really make sure all my mentees master and really own from and gets embedded in their DNA is the seven principles, because you can't just think about one thing on its own. So for example, uh, one of the principles is confidentiality and integrity. For us to have confidentiality and integrity, we have to balance that against availability. And if the data is not available to the people who need it for their doing their role, their task, their job, then it's, there's no point having that confidentiality, that security, because it's useless. It's, it goes against what the company is trying to achieve. It goes against the impact they're trying to make. And when you're talking about the fact that, okay, if anyone leaves the country or if any of our team leave the country, they're not going to have availability to the data because we want to think about the security. You're right. They have to balance both of those things. And businesses often struggle with that. If you got any kind of memorable stories where you've gone in and been able to solve based on some of those competing challenges, because it's not always straightforward yeah. to find those solutions. Yeah, there's been a few. Um, there, I'll tell you the one one that's kind of interesting to this point. You know, I worked with a very important financial regulatory organization, and you know, they went in and said, "Hey, how do you help us secure our data? We need to maintain these laws. We have all these things happening, but we don't want to use encryption." I'm like, "Well, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Why, why don't you want to use encryption? That's a pretty interesting statement." 
Well, we, we put together a great encryption program and we found out because of our program that our analysts for this market segment versus our analysts for this market segment couldn't see each other's work because of the crypto keys, because it was so isolated. And because of that, we couldn't see the data set properly as an organization because we couldn't see the data set properly. We missed major issues in the economy because we wow. couldn't see each other. Right. And so they're like, we have to figure out how do we create these this environment that people can work in, and collaborate in a secure way and not be overly secure where it limits the collaboration. And that's one of those cases. And I think often you see this a lot where people come in and they say, we're going to turn on a DLP program and we're going to start blocking. And you're like, well, do you understand your data? Do you understand how people work? There's a lot to saying, maybe you start with a trust and verify model for a while. And then you, you eventually get to your, I'm going to block model. I'm going to do this. And you should, because often when they do that, they turn it on too soon and it just completely corrupts the program. Because everybody's, every executive is up in arms. They're blocked. They're trying to send that critical file. They can't do a thing. And they turned it on too soon. They didn't know their data. They didn't go through and do things, the basic cleanup, like ROTS data, and understand all the redundant information and do the things they should do in the background as an organization. And they just immediately put this friction on their users, right? Like, we're going to start blocking you. You're going to label files five different ways when you save it. And, and ultimately, you're not getting anywhere in, you know, out of this in the first place when you could have looked at this data set at a whole and said, okay, let's understand information. Let's get rid of, why do we have 47 copies of social security numbers of the same social? What, or let's get rid of this or the same national identifiers. And we're not doing our due diligence to take this pain away from them initially. There's so much more we can do to understand the data, to make minor changes in large data sets to create a more secure and private environment. And eventually it's going to impact these users, but we should not be impacting these folks in day one with all the AI, all the ML. I don't need you to tell me if something is sensitive or not. I ought to be able to figure that out. And I need to do it at scale because it's a lot of data because that model, it doesn't scale and it's very intrusive on the devices and it's very intrusive on the people. And generally because of this, they never get out of basic monitoring mode and they can't pro progress their, their programs forward because they went and blocked before they understood the habits and the data. Yeah, that's super interesting, super insightful. And it reminds me of a few nightmare client stories I've had. So some of the challenges we see with clients is they would have gone with a consultancy or they would have hired some external resources, or even they would have had an FTE or a whole team to come and make some of these changes. And what we see average and poor consultants um, doing is they will come in and they will apply some kind of a template approach that they've learned or said they've discovered in other places. And they just try and apply that to every single organization without taking the time to understand all of those important things that you highlighted is the first thing you need to understand. And I think one of the things that has really helped us to be successful and that helps our students be successful is having that approach of before we come up with any ideas, before we come up with any suggestions and solutions, the first thing we need to do is understand what it is that you're actually doing, how are you using data, and all of the uh, intricacies and all of the processing activities. Once they understand that and they understand why different parts of the business process it this way and who they need to communicate and what are the challenges of not being able to do these things, only then can you really apply bespoke solutions and really help companies to protect their data, protect their reputation, protect the trust that's been entrusted to them, whilst at the same time helping them to cultivate that trust, inspire that confidence, and ultimately maximize their profit or their bottom line. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. It is it's absolutely the key, and, and it's about giving insights. And I think this is an opportunity we have in the industry now, which is when we start to learn this information, you know, we don't really have good dashboards for people to help them be part of the solution. We haven't done this. We have this, you know, you start in a company and it's like, hey, here's what you do with our data. And by the way, we're going to monitor you because you're an employee and this is what we're going to do. 
And then you do something wrong and they're like, okay, you should have secured something, should have done something. But ultimately, we didn't do anything to provide you know, clean dashboards to say, hey, here's the files you have access to. Here's the stuff that has sensitive data in there. Did you know these people have access to it? Did you know it's in this non-sanctioned repository? We recommend you do something about it. We haven't taken that push. It's been this whole, we're going to block you. And then we have you know, the shadow IT issue. Now we've got a CASB problem. Now we've got this. And, and ultimately, it's because we didn't really engage with the users because they understand now that this data is valuable and it's important to them. It's important to their jobs and you do the right thing. But there's a better way to do this than me taxing them to say, save something the right way versus me give you insights to say, did you know that you have access to this environment? Maybe you should move this. Maybe you should do something better. Let me explain it. Give them a chance to be part of the solution because rising tides for data governance is what's going to lift all boats. This isn't going to be solved by one person in the corner when we're trying to understand the value of, of data and the risk associated with the data and managing it on both sides of the fence. Thank you so much for sharing that. So super valuable podcast. Yeah, I think we're going to have to put a warning before we release this episode. Make sure you come with the pen and paper because you're going to want to make lots of notes. The good thing is people can pause and stop and they can uh, uh, listen to it over and over again. Jeff, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned DLP, data loss prevention, for those of you who are new to the acronym. And uh, we spoke about people having access to that. And I want to talk about IAM, so identity and access management here a little bit as well. Can you give us a bit of a breakdown on data loss prevention and how it can actually help businesses and why, if you haven't got this for your business already, you should start thinking about it? Yeah, well, you absolutely have to have it because, you know, it's part of a date. To me, when I look at DLP in the past, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said you know, it was the best program you could have. It was a great awareness program. It drove so much for the industry at the time. You know, you looked at the data, it was shock and awe, and you've seen everything and what you should do. Now you start to look, and I think I think the data loss prevention is a part, of, a key part of any program. But when you try to think about what you really want to achieve, and I think you said it earlier, like take the acronym off the table and what is your goal here? If your goal is to prevent data, then how can you do this in the least intrusive way to the users and do this within their workflows that they're used to? And I think there's different approaches. You know, you think about something like email. A lot of people today will say, we're going to send, there's kind of two approaches. You can send an email out and something will trigger and say, oh, I see PII in this information. So it should be blocked or it should be encrypted, or we're going to send you a link and bring you back or do something. But the reality is you really start to ask yourself is, why is the data even in the email in the first place? Why are you even encrypting it? Why was it there? I mean, if 85% of Microsoft mailboxes have been compromised over the years, then would one look at that and say that that's a safe place to store PII data? Absolutely and not. It, it's not. And so you really have to step back and say, I realize what the vendors are telling us and what they're selling, but what am I really trying to do? Right. What is my goal here? Like my, you know, you look at your endpoint. It's just like this. We don't care about our endpoints. If we lost it on the bus or forgot it, nobody would care. I care about the data on the endpoint. I care that it's encrypted. It's the same when you look at your data on the, that endpoint. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, first off, on an endpoint, I don't even know why we have ports on these things anymore with the speeds that we have. There's no reason to use USB sticks or any of this stuff anymore. So logically, these machines can be so much simpler today in how we look at it. you. You look at something like your, you know. Your my documents or your data drive. You know, it's really simple. We do this at our company. It's great. We take people's documents and we put them in their in a, in a cloud-based file, a private folder, so that when we do scanning and we do all these things, we scan it from that repository. So those endpoints don't feel this pain. They're backed up. They're covered from ransomware. All these great things. We find PII. We reflect that back down to the endpoint and say, look, removed it from here because of PII. You're getting your legal holds. And when you're going to do your privacy request now, you can include the data from these endpoints and say, because otherwise it's really hard to come up and. and fulfill a privacy request in the set time that you have across all of your machines that are distributed all over the world. How do you do this and say, I realistically, and a lot of people say it's out of scope. If it's not out of scope for, you know, e-discovery, then why would it be out of scope for privacy? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this, this is the real challenge I see across clients, regardless of what size they are, is how do you understand where all that PII is across all of your systems and across all of your offices and across all of your locations? But if you have a process just like you do in place where you actually have a central repository for all of that and you can identify where they are, then it becomes so much easier. And why should we say it matters when we want to understand what the business does and it doesn't actually matter for the individual who is trying to look and understand the legality of what you're doing with their personal information? Right. That's right. It's trusting, you know, and I, I look forward to the day that, you know, people start looking at organizations and they, you know, they start to think about what they're, they're filling out, you know, on a, like a website or they're starting to think about the organization. Do I trust this organization before I give them this data and how do I do it? You know, one of the things I do, it's kind of, it's kind of simple and I'm sure you probably do these techniques as well, but like I have a, a spammer Gmail account. And so if I go to like a target or something, I'll put it like Jeff, but instead of just saying at gmail.com, I'll put the plus symbol that they offer plus target at gmail.com. And, there, and a lot of people don't see that. And the reason why is because I want to see what they do with my data. And exactly. nobody's going to tell me until I start getting these emails in or this data in, I want to know what they're doing. And then that's the way you can start to define who you want to work with and who you can trust and who you can't, because you can't figure out what they're going to do with your data when they say, we need your email for this coupon. You have no idea. Yeah. And that is something I've been doing for some time. And it's um, really fascinating when you get an email from something or somewhere, you're just like, hang on a minute. I have not got any relationship over here, but because you've added that plus sign before you put the at gmail.com, you can see exactly who has handed out your personal information. And um, if, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not really sure what Jeff and I are discussing here. So when you have your uh, email address, so let's just say it's uh, jeffs at gmail.com. That's what you'd normally put in. But when you're signing up something, when you're handing over your personal email address to somebody for the first time, what you can do is before the at sign after Jeff, you can add a plus and then the name of the data controller, the name of the business, the name of the organization you're giving your information to. It's not going to affect you receiving the emails because the way it works, it's not going to pick that information up. But when it comes in to your inbox, you can actually see if that information has been shared to somebody else, you'll know where the source of it is. And so many people complain about their phone numbers uh, getting handed out, their email addresses going handed out. And now you can actually do that investigation and see exactly who is going around handing your information out. And if they've told you they're going to do this, then great. And if they haven't, well, it's up to you to decide what you want to do about that, I guess. That's right. That's right. And now you can understand or you can start to think about who you want to trust, right? As you're working with these companies and what you want to think about, because that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I don't go to certain stores. I don't go into them. I don't trust them. I don't spend my mm -hmm. money there. I won't step foot in them. And that's okay. But a lot of it comes from things like this of just, you know, you, you did this and you're like, wow, I can't believe this is what you did with my data. And you really see it. And that, that's really interesting what you've just said there, Jeff, is I don't go to certain stores because I don't trust them with my personal data. And as we're progressing, we are seeing more and more people are actually now making decisions based on how much they trust businesses with their personal information over and above anything else that they might be offering in terms of price, in terms of features, in terms of quality. PII, uh, or how they look after your privacy, is really playing a big part of people's decision-making process. And I know that big businesses are actually aware of this because we can see companies like Amazon, companies like Apple really selling privacy and put, taking out advertising space, not talking about their features or anything else, but talking about how they value your privacy. And what do you think the future is for when it comes to people making decisions? Do you think we're going to see a lot more people making decisions based on privacy? 
I do. And I think, I think we will pay for privacy aggregators for us uh, as, as consumers. I think we'll have privacy solutions that we will make the investments on. And we're going to realize the, you know, what it's like and what it's worth to pay for privacy. And I think that's going to come and, we'll, and we should pay for it. Uh, I have no problem with that. I don't want your free service. I'd rather pay for the service and have my data private. I have no problem with that. Charge me the five bucks a month or whatever you want and move on. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that start to look at this and say, if it's free, it's free for a reason. I'm a product and start to understand that and start to think about how they want to work with this data. So I, I, you know, you start to see it and you, you hear it often now, right? And it's great to hear it where you hear people say, what are you going to do with that number? Why do you want my number? And you start to hear it and it's like, well, this is great. Thanks for asking. I'm glad people are starting to ask the questions. Yeah. And, you know, you start to ask, why do you, why do you need this data? Like, what is the purpose? Why do you need so much of my data? What is this? So I think we're starting to see people asking these questions, starting to say no. I, and I think people are going to be paying for privacy. I think we're going to have some privacy aggregators, like consumer-based products that we're going to, they're going to start coming out to help us with these problems. Super interesting. And how can businesses use that as a competitive advantage? It's funny you say that because first, you know, trust is, is we're seeing with Apple, right? I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. It's, it's a big deal of, of who you can trust and what data you want to secure and who you, how you function. It's there today and people are starting to do it. But I, I think one of the things that are most interesting about this is some of the new regulations that are coming about. They're fascinating to me and I think the long-term effects, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. When you have a nowadays, you know, when you have a breach, it's, it's you know, it's going to be illegal shortly to not report that breach, right? In the U.S. anyway, under Biden and all this stuff that's occurring. So if you if you take that and you think about this and you say, well, I'm a small construction company, I don't really care, and I have a breach. All right, that that seems like no big deal. Well, now you're going to bid for that next project. Well, now that you're going to bid that next project, the company that you're trying to work with is going to run your data and they're going to look at this and they're going to say, ah, wait a minute, you show up in a breach database. You're a high-risk supplier. Because you're a high-risk supplier, my cyber insurance is through the roof. Or if there's anything associated with you, they won't pay it. So in essence, it's all starting to connect back, which means if you have a breach because you didn't have your program set up and you weren't managing the privacy things that you need to, that you need to have, you're ultimately not going to win contracts because you're going to be a higher-risk vendor to the cyber insurance companies that they're working with. So cyber insurance, because of ransomware, I say I look at this year as being the year of the ransomware you know, that impact. And I think next year, is going to be the result of, of that in terms of cyber insurance policies. They're already coming. They're shooting through the roof mm-hmm. 300%. People are getting dropped from policies. And they're starting to connect the stops, right, to do you have a private policy program? Do you have a map of your – a data map of your information? Do you have a data classification strategy? Who are your third-party vendors? How do you recommend them? They're starting to look, and they're starting to ask the questions. So, you know, these little things that we're talking about where people say, well, it, it's not me as a business. I don't have to worry about this. You absolutely do, because it's going to be more expensive and more risky to work with you in the future when you have this breach. So it's forcing a lot of companies to move forward with these programs. You know, I don't think they're doing the best job of asking the privacy questions yet, but they are asking things like data maps. Do you have an inventory of your data? So they're starting to ask some great questions and enforce some hard conversations. And by the way, if you if you say you do and you don't, they're not paying. They're not paying out. You have a breach. Exactly. You're not getting paid. I've I've actually seen an increase, and a lot a lot of the work on the consultant side is increasing into actually looking at what the insurance requirements are and making sure that the privacy program or the security program is in line with what the requirements are, so they can bring the policy right down. Because I've had some clients who have had some astronomical increases to their premium, and they're like, "Hang on a minute, we need to do something about this." And when they've given them a call and spoken to them, they said, "What can we do about this?" They said, "Well." Here's a list of things that you can do to bring that premium right down. And if you can demonstrate that you have good governance in place, if you can demonstrate that you have good security, good policies, good awareness, then we bring it right down. Um, so I think it's it's going to become more and more important. And I think as insurance companies are you know raising their prices 
uh, because they see the threat and the risk here, uh, it will actually make businesses uh, who may not be so focused on security and privacy right now, but they're going to really start asking those questions. I think that's going to drive a huge uh, amount of work uh, in the industry. So it's a very exciting time for anyone who is uh, in the data privacy and data security sector thinking about a career in there. And I think uh, the future is only going to grow. What are your predictions for how the industry is shaping up and where it's heading? It's unfortunate that it's going, you know, it's moving forward, uh, but not moving forward fast enough. It's it's not a, you know, especially in the U.S., you know, everybody talks about it, they're saying it, but it's just talk right now. It's not happening. It's a lot of confusion. I think these state-by-state laws are, are, are not doing well. So it's going to continue. It's got to come up with some federal laws in the U.S. We have to have a federal law that we do this with. This is just too much. But I, I definitely think we're going to continue to see this stuff across the line. It's going to continue. It, it's got to become a right in the United States of privacy and the right to do these things across the board. And when that occurs, uh, I think we're going to start seeing some, you know, and we start seeing some legal cases associated for it, right? Hey, you you know, yes. I requested privacy. You couldn't provide it. You're going to see the lawsuits. You're going to see the lawyers coming out everywhere. People trying to defend themselves. They're going to start doing something. It's just unfortunate it's going to come to this fact that it's going to get, you know, we're going to continue state laws. We're going to see, we're going to wait till these attorneys come after everybody. And then the companies are going to start responding because of the suits. And I wish you didn't have to do that, but that's unfortunately the way I think it's going to get fixed. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that in the UK, uh, British Airways, they had a major breach and uh, there was a very interesting suit against them. And they've actually decided to settle that now, but it was a private settlement. So they haven't disclosed what that settlement looks like. But from what we can understand, it, it's been very significant and other companies are really starting to pay attention and take notice. Yeah, that's that's where it changes, right? When it becomes civil suits and civil lawsuits, um, class action lawsuits, you know, that's not a negotiated government fine because you can do that because you're, you know, Visa or something. I'm, I'm just throwing random names out there, but a little bit different when the government's going to come in and say things are changing. And, you know, you are, you know, we're going to bring you to court. The judge is going to say you're guilty in your pen. You're negligent. Exactly. And it's like, it's not just going to be one person. It's going to be potentially thousands, depending on how large your company is. So it's going to be like, if you think about it, you go down the street today and you see like these signs from lawyers and it's like, hey, you know, you got hurt today. Give us a call, right? You're going to start seeing a data breach. Give us a call. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Give us a call. It's going to be on the side yeah. of the highway soon. <laughs> and this is the thing. They're not even going to ask, uh, have you had a data breach? They're going to be like, have you ever done business with this company? Well, you could be entitled to compensation. Give us a call. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. go. You know, anybody that worked there during these eight-year period. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to start getting very interesting. Thank you so much for all of the value that you've provided. Uh, Jeff, you spoke about data protection. You spoke about encryption key management. We spoke about data loss prevention, identity and access management. And we also spoke about the pragmatics of actually when it comes to hiring someone and some of the challenges and what you'll be looking for, for bringing you know, talent into your team. So the last question is, do you have a question for me? I do. I do. Uh, especially with, you know, with what you're seeing in terms of the regulatories and, you know, with, with what you're seeing, do you think it's getting better? What are you looking forward to? When you say, do I think it's getting better? Better from what perspective, Jeff? Well, you know, you're, you're seeing some adoption and I think we're starting to see this, but when you're starting to see organizations and I mean, over there in the UK, I'm, I'm sure you guys are seeing it, but are you seeing that the, the privacy, you're seeing this at a board level, are people spending the money to do this, right? You you look at um, security in the past and it was like, you've seen security, 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 and it's the most important thing, but then you look at the budgets and it was like, out of the CIO's budget, 3% went to security and 97 went to you know video cameras or whatever else they wanted. And yeah, we yeah. said we said it was getting better, but the money wasn't being spent, the people weren't being hired. I mean, I'm curious what you're starting to see and you know out there as you're working with these folks. 
Yeah, so across the UK and across Europe, I do think we are making progress. I don't think we're making enough progress, and I don't think it's still a priority on the board as much as it should be. There are discussions about it. Whenever there is a massive breach, whenever there is a big civil suit, it does come up as a topic again. But I'm not seeing enough businesses investing the resources, making the funds available, uh, making the headcount available to really make it and, and do something about this. We are seeing more that some of the larger global companies are actually really increasing their headcount and really thinking about what they can do to move forward. And the challenge in the UK is when you have businesses that are not multinational um, and you have just large businesses just based here nationally, what they're saying is, well, the ICO, we've had four fines over the last three years and they've just been to massive companies. How much of a risk do we actually have? And the appetite to do something about it still seems to be driven by fear of fines, by fear of enforcement, yeah. rather than an appetite to say, hey, we need to be responsible here and do the right thing. And we want to make sure that all of our customers trust us, all of our employees trust us, all of our stakeholders are confident that we have robust practices when it comes to upholding and respecting the trust that people give to us when they share their personal information with us. So I think, yes, we are seeing small increments towards it, but there's still a lot of work to go. And I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be right now. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And that's uh, what I'm seeing in the US as well. Uh, it, it's a, a lot of conversation, which is great. An event comes up, it sparks up, which is great. But, you know, when you look at the dollars and the cents associated, you know, hiring one person over here and saying, hey, you're our privacy officer, you know, it's a tricky one right now. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest challenges I seem to be coming up against is the board sees it more as a cost. They don't actually see the benefits. They see they, they don't actually think there will be any, be any ROI. There's no return on investment on spending this money in privacy. But when you see companies like Apple and you see companies like Amazon, you can see that they know this is going to give you ROI. This is, can actually be used to increase revenue, increase profitability, save some money. As soon as businesses and boards start taking that attitude, I think you're going to see a hump. It's going to be a completely different ballgame. Yeah, I, I think it's spot on. I think when they start to understand the benefits of being the trusted source or, hey, this is a bank you can trust. This is what we do. This is how we are transparent we are. I think you're spot on. Um, and I, you know, I can't wait to see more companies that are starting to position themselves for trust, right, in what they do. It's great to see Apple do it. I just can't wait. to. I'm hoping to see more continue it on path. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much for sharing so much valuable information. I'm so happy you made the time to come and speak to us today. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. It was lovely. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.